This is the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library on WQRT 99.1 FM, Indianapolis. In 1922, Kurt Vonnegut was welcomed to Earth. Over his 84 years, he became a beloved writer known for his unflinching look at the world and an outspoken voice for free speech and common decency. Known for his unique sardonic style, Vonnegut published 14 novels, three collections of short stories, five plays, and five works of nonfiction. In 2022, the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library are celebrating Vonnegut's 100th birthday. Join me, Chris Lefebvre, and my co-host Sam Bannon as we explore the ways Vonnegut's legacy has shaped the lives of others and continues to make souls grow. From the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library, this is The Vonnegut. 2022 is the year of Vonnegut at 100, a century of stories. The Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library has a full year of programs and events celebrating the life, work, and legacy of Kurt Vonnegut. Next up on April 9th and 10th, we have three events. We are unveiling our Vonnegut and Jazz exhibit on the evening of April 9th. And on April 10th, KVML will receive the American Library Association's first literary landmark designation in the state of Indiana. Join us from 12 to 4 p.m. at the museum for a special celebration, the unveiling of another new exhibit, Women Who Shaped Vonnegut, and free copies of Slaughterhouse-Five for the first 100 students. And in the evening of April 10th, KVML will host our annual Night of Vonnegut fundraiser at the Indiana Roof Ballroom starting at 7 p.m. There are only a few tickets left, and past Vonnegut Humor Award recipient comedian Gary Goldman will headline a Night of Vonnegut that you won't want to miss. You can reserve your spot for all KVML events on our website, kvml.org. Welcome to the Vonnegut. I am your host, Chris Lefebvre, curator at the Vonnegut Library. I'm here with my co-host and colleague, Sam Bannon. We are thrilled to have comedian Gary Gullman with us for our first ever episode. Over 25 years in comedy, Gary Gullman has established himself as a renowned performer and exceptional writer. Gary was a finalist on NBC's reality talent show, Last Comic Standard. He released his first CD, Conversations with Inanimate Objects, I knew that too, in 2005, and his first television special, Gary Goldman, Boyish Man, the following year. Since then, he has released two comedy albums and three comedy specials, including 2019's The Great Depression on HBO. Gary's made countless television appearances as both a comedian and an actor, and he's currently writing a memoir for Flatiron Books, tentatively titled K-12. through And now... Adding to your illustrious resume, you will be performing at Night of Vonnegut in Indianapolis on April 10th, and you are the Vonnegut's very first guest. Welcome to the show, Gary Goldman. How's life? Thanks so much, guys. I'm, I'm honored, and this will not be the first time I've been performing for the museum and for the Vonnegut 
people. It's third or fourth, I think. So I'm really excited. I'm always honored to be in, included and in, invited because I'm a a fan since I was 16, I think. That's that's a big year, 16. That was the first time I ever saw fish, and uh, the first time my mother ever. <laughs> My mother grounded me, and I didn't get to see Santana. Those are my two memories from being 16. I don't know what that says about me. So, um, so Gary, what was, what was the first Vonnegut book, your first encounter with Vonnegut that kind of led you to the rest? I mean, I, I, it's cliche, but it was, it was Slaughterhouse-Five, and it was in my, my high school library, and I read it, and, I mean, I appreciated it on a number of levels, but also I found it... I'm embarrassed to say this. I found it really like racy and and sexy in parts. His relationship on Tralfamador really turned me on for some reason, which is so sick and twisted because it's it's a war novel and and yet at 16 I was so darned horny that I also <laughs> it was it was it had a penthouse letters aspect to it, which I'm I should have cleared this with you before we started. Hey, is it okay for me to be really inappropriate <laughs> i think that's okay because my okay. celebrity crush is montana wild Peck, so it all works out <laughs> I, I i have that memory too i i'm sure my parents gave me the book i love talking to vonnegut fans with the uh, ability to pay attention to detail because uh, they always list slaughterhouse five as their favorite whereas i found it as a young person kind of confusing <laughs> and meandered all over the place so my favorite part of the book is vonnegut calling it a failure twice in the first 15 pages of the book Oh yeah, but it's 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 a masterpiece now that I'm older and I can I can kind of get it. I I I was an oblivious teenager. Yeah, Um, I mean I've read it four or five times and I enjoy it more each time. I get different things. The first time I read it as a, a a corny teenager, and the other thing is it's not my it's not my favorite. My favorite is is Sirens of Titan, and I feel the Sirens of Titan is the favorite of the of the smartest people. Well, the, actually, The Signs of Titan is my favorite novel, so that means I'm pretty smart. I actually brought it here with me today because I hope somebody up there likes me, and, which is uh, the first line of the it, book. It was Jerry Garcia's favorite Vonnegut book, too. So you're in good company there, Gary. You are in good company. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite book, period. And I have I have in my home, I mean, I have a lot of, is it called Vonnegutana or whatever it is i i have so many things i have a um self portrait that he that he did and and but i also have a a framed first edition of sirens of titan with a very sexy cover that of course that's that's how they sold sci-fi in those days but it it doesn't really tell you that this is a i mean this is to me vonnegutism is a philosophy that you pick up slowly by reading his books as you age and realize that this is a, a worldview of philosophy. I, I would I would consider myself a Vonnegutist over a over a Jew, I would say. My my <laughs> my my views and outlook and philosophy and, and my treatment of other I mean I've cobbled together a religion based on the old testament that I remember from Hebrew school, the Vonnegut um all his novels and speeches and interviews, and then some some Sermon on the Mount, which I mostly keyed into after reading 
Vonnegut talk about the Sermon on the Mount so much. I knew of the Sermon on the Mount. I knew the hits from the Sermon on the Mount, but I, I didn't really get into the to the nitty-gritty of the sermon until I I read Vonnegut's take on the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically everything you need is in there. We we gotta have a secondary podcast where we talk about the greatest hits and deep cuts of the Bible. <laughs> that's that should be all. That's a whole other kick. Um, I like that you mentioned the sexy cover of Sirens of Titan because his aunt who ran a bookstore in Kentucky refused to carry it. She deemed it pornographic. Oh, that's and, hilarious. Uh, yeah, his feelings were so hurt, and then he dedicated it to his uncle Alex, who he was crazy close to. Uh, uncle Alex wrote him a letter back saying, "I couldn't get into it. I'm sure the kids will love it." Yeah, yeah. Alex was a tough critic. He had a lot of what they call Dutch uncles, which were people who, who told them the, the truth about things. And I, I wouldn't recover from that. If I had a relative, I would, I would either cut them off or, or give up writing. If they didn't, if they didn't read my book, I'd be furious. Well, we all have flaws. Vonnegut didn't like bratwurst. That, that really brought my heart. <laughs> Um, so Gary, I'm going to let, uh, well, Sam answered the, asked the first question. Uh, what's the Vonnegut book that you feel like doesn't get enough attention? I, I really think that the God bless you, Mr. Rosewater is, is right up there with sirens of Titan. If, if I could only bring a few, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater was on there. I mean, the thing that I am drawn to with Vonnegut and a lot of people say the humor, a lot of people say the, the, the philosophy, but to, to, to well, I guess it's to me is the philosophy as well, but the, the aspect of the philosophy that really stands out to me is, is his, his, I guess I'm looking for the right word, his aggressive kindness. And I, th I think there's nobody more aggressively kind than, than Mr. Rosewater. And I, and I just, I see so much of, of America in that, in that book of America at its best and the world at its best in that book, but also the the world at it, at its most cynical and i mean it's just just the contrasts he sets up in every single one of these books the thing is is that there are people who say that some of the books are better or worse than others and i just see them as just a a collection of this man's ideas and words as the ocean rather than individual waves i mean i mean it's just to me, it's all Vonnegut. So every year, I start from the beginning and reread every everything, and I've been doing that for four or five years now. I always have two or three books going, and one of them is is almost always a, a, a Vonnegut. So that's my that's sort of my my strategy each year to get through each year. I I need some Vonnegut at my side. So here on at the end of March, uh, what what Vonnegut book are you on now? What's the order? Oh, I'm back to player piano. <laughs> so you've already gone back through, and you're back through player piano the second time this year. No, uh, I'm I'm uh, I f I finished up with the the his most his last stuff, and then I watched the documentary, and then I started I started over again with with player piano, which is another one that doesn't get enough enough credit. Although I I think. If you're a real Vonnegut fan, of course you've read it. I, I love that you mentioned those two books. With uh, when whenever we have visitors, we're we're a five hundred one c three. We don't mention politicians, uh, at least in their capacity as those people. 
Uh, but I always make the crack that God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, is the book that Bernie Sanders kisses goodnight uh, before he goes to sleep. And that uh, Player Piano is probably the book that Andrew Yang stumbles with. And it's, uh, it, it's more a commentary on how timely uh, Vonnegut's work is, how it seems to have not aged or, or become dated. Uh, his concerns still live amongst us in such a live action kind of way. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. It's like the Simpsons always predicting things. Yeah. Because the Simpsons is, is, is a, an emotional and, and thoughtful writer's room. Like, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of Vonnegut fans in, in the Simpsons writer's room. Yeah. Player piano really kind of freaked me out being honest. It was, it was generally scary to me to think that because it's, you know, it's not unrealistic and, you know, we just mentioned Vonnegut invented basically all these things. He invented the ring doorbell, invented a car that dings at you when you don't buckle your seatbelt. Yeah. Um, you know, so if all of that's correct, then my God, hopefully Dr. Paul, Paul Proteus doesn't lead a, lead, a, uh, lead a revolution as the new messiah. Well, especially one that fails. So, oh, shit, that's a spoiler, isn't it? Oh, yeah, whoops. Sorry. So, uh, so Gary, your books obviously are rather, Vonnegut's books clearly have influenced your life and your work a lot. Um, you mentioned the comedy of Vonnegut, the philosophy of Vonnegut. Is that kind of what got you in to stand-up comedy? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I just think that, that people who enjoy writing and enjoy words go into comedy. There is kind of a big club there. Yeah. Some people go into comedy for, as a stepping stone for, for fame, but the, the people who last and the, and the people who who stand out are the ones who lo love words and expressing themselves. I mean, that's another thing that I just love about, about Vonnegut is his attitude towards art. And it, and it probably harmed him in terms of critics appreciating him as much as they should, but he, he was very populist and democratic with his attitude towards art that everybody should, should practice art. And I, and I believe that. And there's, there's part of you as a as a performer or writer that says I don't want all these dilettantes mucking up the the system, but it's 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 incredibly selfish to say oh no it has to be only done by people who are are dedicating their entire lives to it. It's 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 for everybody and it's and it's so healthy and therapeutic. I think it's interesting you said that about the words of Vonnegut and that kind of leading to what you wanted to become because I was. Last night, in preparation for this, I watched about four hours of your stand-up on YouTube. Oh wow! And I know it, it was you a really all of it. Yeah, pretty, pretty much, yeah. And um, and a lot of the comments on those videos, which you know, YouTube comment sections are uh, accessible to begin with, but these were actually were pretty good because they were like, "Oh, Gary Goldman is so great. He's got such great word choice. It's almost like he's a poet up there." And I think it's interesting that, that you mentioned that. Do you do you make like a conscious effort to have big words to use a non-big word there in the question? I think that I I think in in circling this back to Vonnegut he there's that that book Pity the Reader that that he contributed just every idea to and it I never would use a word that I don't think that the audience should know that that <laughs> I I I, I don't believe that they they all know it but the people who do know it will appreciate me not using the wrong word and I, and I really believe there's a right and a wrong word and I, and I, I have to go to, to Mark Twain and I, and I believe Con Kurt Vonnegut is, 
is should be mentioned within that that realm of of great American novelists, thinkers, philosophers as as Mark Twain. But Mark Twain had this great quote where he said, "The difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug." And I and I might be paraphrasing on that, but that was how I memorized it. And and so I often will write and have a word that's almost right, and then I will think and sometimes consult the, the thesaurus and find the, the right word. And, it, and it's made all the difference for me because, I, and, and this is another secret I, I, I share with people about writing, is that people love to hear words and things that they forgot they knew. And it, and it just it just sparks them. Oh, I forgot that that was a word, and I haven't heard it spoken in a long time. And it and it really so you get a laugh, and also there's some some nostalgia and, and some energy transacted. I, I really appreciate that perspective. I, I I rediscovered the word ephemera last night. That was, oh. that, was that was very new to me. Well, that's new to me. What what does that mean? I did, I forgot to Google it. Um, <laughs> so over here you've got what other authors are you into? Uh, what other writers do you like to read? Okay, so the the books that I have the the most of because I I believe in that idea. If it's good enough to read, it's good enough to own. So I have Kurt Vonnegut. I have everything he ever wrote. I have everything Philip Roth wrote except. Well, no, I've read everything Philip Roth wrote and own everything he's written, but I've never read this book called When She Was Good. I started it and I couldn't get through it. And then I love, the funniest book I've ever read is is written by Adam Resnick. It's called Will Not Attend. And then other other writers, I mean, I, I, I love Toni Morrison. I think she's probably our greatest uh, American novelist. So I, I've read most of her work and I I adore um, this guy named um, John Schwarzwalder, who's a writer for The Simpsons, and he also writes these bizarre sci-fi novels in in kind of the Jack Handy type type of ideas. And then I I love Chuck Klosterman in terms of nonfiction and essays. I think he's like a a, a genius who's topic is popular culture and and music and I, I I really enjoy his writing so I I think that's that's a lot of what I what I read and and I but I I always have a Kurt Vonnegut book going whereas I don't I don't always have anybody else always going and and that's really important to me I need to I mean it's almost like the people who find find solace in the in the Bible I find solace on a on a near daily basis by reading Kurt Vonnegut or 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 just I I mean I have quotes of him all over my house the one about the the babies um you you got you've got to be kind I have that whole thing on the wall I have if this isn't nice I don't know what is and and my wife and I say that so frequently so it's it's just I'm I, I mean I I consider myself a, a uh, I guess a, a a follower of of Kurt Vonnegut and 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 I I, th- I think along with with 
Jesus and Buddha and Allah. I think I think he's a worthy uh, a, a worthy follow. I'm I'm reading Klosterman's uh, book, the '90s, right now. It is an absolute masterpiece, isn't I mean, it? it is. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's destroying me. I Klosterman has not hit me on this level, which I I also really love Klosterman, but I mean he is just. I don't, I don't know if it's being born in 1983, but his <laughs> line his line about there are many reasons not to drink Pepsi, but it's too dark was not one of them. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it has to yes. be translucent. The, the crave for translucent beverages was funnier than hell, but the major, major highlight so far, and I'm glad you brought this up because it gives me an excuse to ask you. Um, it brought back memories of when they invented caller ID in the 90s, and my mother was just horrified beyond all human belief. She's like, people are going to use this as an excuse to ignore phone calls. That's so <laughs> rude and disrespectful. And I kind of I get it. Even now when I get spam phone calls, I answer every time. My wife thinks I'm a raving lunatic. Like I, well, I just that wanted is to no, that's crazy. Yeah, I wanted to take your your temperature on that and 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 what that's done to society that we almost know each other way too well and we use our technology to like get as far away from each other as humanly possible. Yeah, it's it's really it's really sad and it and it and it comes back to Vonnegut and and that we're 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 instead of extending our family. We're, we're tightening it and and pairing it and and making it smaller and and smaller and it's and it's why there's so many people anxious and and depressed I mean that's the thing that I that I can't get over with with Kurt Vonnegut is how in tune he was with how technology was affecting our emotional and and mental state I I, I mean to be that perceptive I, I i i'm wondering because i'm 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 i just i just did a voiceover for a for a, a small voiceover for the new george carlin documentary um that's going to be on hbo that judd apatow and mike bonfiglio are, are producing and i wonder if you guys know whether whether vonnegut and carlin i know that carlin was not somebody who had a lot of friends and certainly not celebrity friends but i wonder if they were fans of each other because they they have such similar similar world views and 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 along with twain just felt beat up and betrayed by by the the uh american dream and the way of life i i wonder if you can help me out with that I wish I had evidence of that at my fingertips. I, I, yeah. I will say the line, I will say the bit that George Carlin did, I think in the 90s, about airport security and how he was just so leaning into the idea that, like, there's a fantasy that we can be immortal or die only on our terms. Yeah. And George Carlin's just ripping that to shreds. If you, you can find this on YouTube, it's the funniest bit ever. I saw so many shades of Vonnegut in that particular bit. Yeah. Yeah, and to your point, Gary, you know, obviously we work at the museum, we give a lot of tours. There, uh, George Carlin is the person who comes up the most. It's like, oh, Vonnegut is really similar to George Carlin. And yeah. Ray Bradbury are basically the, the only two that I get on a regular basis. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I watched an interview with Bob Wide recently, and they opened it up to questions, and my question didn't get answered. And then I went on and followed Bob on Twitter to ask him the question and he didn't answer. So I unfollowed him <laughs> and 
and I uh, I vowed revenge. Anyhow, this was the, this was the question, and I'm wondering if you guys can help me. What did Kurt like to read? Oh, um, I mean, he was a fanatical Mark Twain fan. Okay. Um, you know, just Mark Vonnegut is definitely named after Mark Twain. Ah, that's um, right. Yes. He he really dug the the stories of Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, he had a caretaker when he was young, um, who, whose name was Ida Young. We're we're creating a women who shape right. exhibit, and she's one of them. Uh, she used to read a, a very old collection called um, More Heartthrobs. <laughs> to, 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 to a young Kurt Vonnegut, we have his copy of the book oh, in wow. the collection. Um, and so every everything from then on, I mean, you know, he from from what Morley Safer told us, he just gobbled up books left and right. Um, he was a very he loved Nelson Algren. Uh, he was incredibly incredibly close to Richard Yates, who he taught at the University of Iowa. Right. Same with Jose Donoso. Um, Kurt and John Irving were incredibly close. Right. Um, but I, I I think he just um, really really enjoyed consuming literature very much in the way you described it, which like, you know, he could go into a universe that was very much his own um, and, and then be taken on a ride that was, you know, thrilling, but safe at the same time. Um, yeah. Oh man. Thank you. That's really, that's really helpful. And I, I, I'm going to call off my fatwa on Bob wide for not answering my, my question. Because I, I admire him in every other way, except that he didn't he didn't answer my question. <laughs> I'm crazy. So Gary, in your uh, most recent HBO special from 2019, The Great Depression, um, you're very open about your past mental health struggles and everything that came with that. Um, how difficult was it to kind of open up about that, and then not only open up about it, but then perform about it in your naked uh, comedic performance? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, it was difficult to speak about anything while I was sick and the, and the depression, anxiety, and they were at crippling levels. I was pretty much catatonic for, for most of two and a half years. So when I started to feel better and I started to get on stage, it was actually, it was necessary to talk about what was going on in my, in my world because it was clear that something was off because I, I, not that I am shined up right now, but my hair was always a mess and long and, and usually oily. I was unshaven. I, my hands were shaking from the, from the anxiety. And also I had tremors from, I don't know what. So it was so clear something was off. I had to address it on stage. And as any, any public speaker knows the way to make, yourself at ease and also the audience is to be funny about it and so I, I would have to come up with these ideas for jokes to explain why I looked and was was talking like this also my voice was really strained you can even hear it or I can hear it you might not notice it in the in the special my my voice was actually still strained by the time I even when I was in in full recovery so I had to address it and so that part Reporting the story of the monster I had defeated was was actually pretty easy because the audiences, I had a pretty good group of fans. I, I mean, I wasn't selling thousands of tickets, but there were a couple of hundred people there to see me when I performed and they trusted me and and they went with me as I had talked about this awful thing. And I kept my end of the bargain, which is I made it, 
I made it funny. It reminds me if I, I forget who the author was. It might've been Oscar Wilde who said, uh, you can tr tell the truth, but be funny or they'll kill you. So I, I, <laughs> I which is I, so true. Yeah. It's so true. Painfully yeah. true. Yeah. I, I, um, my wife gave me that, that quote one day and I, I said, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. But it's also what Vonnegut and Twain did was they were, they're really, they're really funny. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think that that, that's sort of the, 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 what do you call it? The, the formula mm -hmm. that, that the greats use. And it's, I mean, to simplify it and call it a formula makes it sound like it's 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 not, it's so easy, but that's the that's the thing is is add take truth, add humor, repeat, and and so I the the other thing is that I had twenty five years of comedy experience and and failure and and success and just I learned a lot of a lot of the the craft and the skill of doing comedy so I and, and I was confident enough that I could that when the, the the nights when the when the it was just dark and and abysmal and dismal I had some jokes that I could save the performance or the or the or the paragraph with and and not have the people mutiny or walk out on on moss there were people who who left on me and that was fine. Most of the people stayed, and and then I was able to to make it into a a, a docu special, which I I really think this was the the ideal vehicle for that that technique that's become popular, where you do part documentary, part comedy. I I, I think it's really a really fun thing because I, I I love the informative aspect of of good comedy and and. Again, bringing it back to Kurt Vonnegut, you learn about a lot of different things that you really don't have any knowledge of on the on the way to him telling a great a great story and and giving you a, a philosophy and and some lightness and some laughter. I mean, if you, I, I I mean, you guys are, are I'm preaching to the converted, but if you only had to read, if you were only allowed to read one author, I mean, I I would choose. Kurt Vonnegut every day of the week and, and twice on Palm Sunday. There's a little, ah, there's a little, nice. a little, a little, it's, it's a little coming pump. up. It's coming up. <laughs> is that, is that Palm Sunday when you're coming to town? April 10th? Is that Palm Sunday? Oh, okay. Excellent. I'm fairly certain. And the, the irony is, or is that irony? It doesn't make, it seems like that would, it would What's be the intention? opposite, but I wouldn't be there on Palm I, Sunday. I, I'm not even, I'm not even sure it's coincidental. I think they picked that intentionally. Okay, good. Okay, good. Gary, you mentioned that the millennials have taken literally and turned it into figuratively in one of your bits. Yeah. I think they've also taken uh, irony and turned it into coincidence. Yes, that was, but that, that was a, a Gen X person who, who redefined it named Alanis Morissette, right? Oh, is yeah. It, isn't yeah. it coincidental? But <laughs> we really have the same, yeah. same range of the song. Yeah, rain on your wedding day is, is not irony. It's, it's bad luck. <laughs> okay um so in 2022 kvml uh the vonnegut museum is celebrating vonnegut at 100 a century of stories what is your best story the one that you think could stand the test of a century wow i mean 
the story from my life or my act that could last a century? It's entirely up to you. If you had to pick one, you said if you had to pick one author for the rest of your life. So I'm saying if you had to pick one story. Yeah. I, th- I think I tell this story of this uh, meltdown I had at Trader Joe's and it's, it's, it seems to be the nature of, because it's about, and and Vonnegut always says this. He's he's a moralist, and so his that's why people have have embraced him and and Twain and people like that. And so I think my story about my meltdown at Trader Joe's has components that will never will never go out of style. Which is there's there's unfairness and there is uh, revenge. And so those those tales seem to be to be keep coming up over and over again throughout the the centuries. But of course, know that I know that none of my act will be relevant probably ten or fifteen years from now. So I'll I'll keep I'll keep churning it out, knowing that it is ephemeral. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice use. We. Uh... Uh, Gary Goldman, I feel you there. Nothing threatens my mental health quite like grocery shopping. Uh, my three-year-old asked him to buy me uh, or asked me to buy him bubbles the other day, and I forgot. And I did definitely uh, had a hard time mentally, like having to drive back to the grocery store and look for bubbles. Oh, that's so. That's it's a boy or girl? Boy. What's his name? Wesley. I love it. He's he's named after Wes Montgomery, the uh, the Indianapolis jazz guitarist. And uh, partly Wes Anderson, the filmmaker. Do you like the French Dispatch? Oh, I thought it was phenomenal. Wasn't it I, amazing? I keep waiting for him to make a bad movie. I've met people that didn't like the Darjeeling Limited very much, but they're wrong. Fools. And so yeah, exactly. Like, and the soundtracks are amazing. Every time he makes a movie, I hear some song that I've never heard of before. Like prior to the French Dispatch, I didn't know the Kinks were a great band. I had absolutely no idea. So no, they weren't. You know, it, they weren't until the French Dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> so um, speaking of music, though, Kurt once called music proof of the existence of God. What do you listen to, Gary Goldman? I mean, I my tastes, and probably everybody says this, but I think they are eclectic in that I listen to a lot of a lot of Eminem, Jay Z, Lil Wayne. But I also listen to a lot of Bob Dylan and a lot of Bruce Springsteen. I mean, those are the probably the in the in the group of artists I listen to most frequently. Those are the those are the top five. I, I I'm and and maybe Billy Joel sixth, and then I I yeah, and I'm trying to think who else. I love Mavis Staples and I I love Nina Simone and Aretha. Um, yeah, so a lot of a lot of soul, a lot of R and B. I'm I'm sure they would be able to take the. I love Rush. I, yes, I, the Canadian, the Canadian yeah. power trio. I love it. Yeah, the thing about Rush is that I love their music. Yes, but more than their music, I love documentaries about Rush and yes, their fans. that documentary is so good. <laughs> that documentary is great, but there are other ones that are kind of similar in just anything involving Rush because they're, if you had to create a group and to like, 
to appreciate and admire. You can't admire a group any more than, than Rush because they love each other and they love music and they love their fans. And, and also Neil Peart is like this, this enigmatic gene was this enigmatic genius who resisted fame. And I find that really compelling so that you have these two really friendly mensch type guys, and then you have a brooding genius and it's, it's just, I, there's a pretty good chance we're living in a computer simulation. And I think the computer simulation got it right when they, when it created Rush. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love that adult Getty Lee looks normal and Getty <laughs> Lee from the seventies looks absolutely terrifying. I, I just thought that was great. But to your point with the Dylan song, I think, I think visions of Johanna from blonde on blonde is the line of demarcation in the universe where like once that song came out, no one could touch Dylan as the top of the largest skyscraper in the world of art. Uh, that's probably a biased opinion, but that's fine. Uh, Sam, you want to take the next one? Yeah, sure. Uh, I told my roommates like, yeah, our first episode, we were talking to Gary Goldman and they both about pelvis. We're like, Oh my God, that's the invigorating the States guy. I love that guy. Um, I think Vonnegut, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris said, you know, most of what people say these days are quotes from television shows. Most of what my roommates say is quotes from that abbreviating the states bit. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. But at two Dottie is said about once a day in our house. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Gary noted Vonnegut fan Haruki Murakami uh, just released a book in which he inventories his t-shirt collection. Do you collect t-shirts or t-shirts or anything else? That's so interesting because I wouldn't have said that I collect t-shirts. I would just say that I love to wear t-shirts <laughs> with, with things on them. But I do, I mean, this is part of a collection. I mean, I'm, I'm very careful about what I will wear and I, and I absolutely use them to augment my personality, not augment, but to share with everybody. This is what I'm into everybody who, who doesn't know me. And so I have, I have, I have a slaughterhouse five t-shirt. It's my second because I wore through the first one cause it was my go-to. So my, my friend, Mike Bonfiglio got me a, a second one because I, I think he recognized how, how gray the underarms were and how tattered the shirt was and, and replaced it. And then I have a, a cat's cradle t-shirt and then my wife for my, for my, I think Christmas of 2018 got me a, a, the self portrait Kurt Vonnegut in profile and it's a t-shirt. And so I have a lot of Vonnegut t-shirts. I have a lot of book t-shirts from this. There, there's a great company called out of print that, that makes the cat's cradle and oh, the, yeah. the welcome to the, what, not welcome to the monkey house. I wish they had that. The uh, breakfast of champions and uh, yeah, slaughterhouse five and breakfast of champions. So they have great stuff and they also have, they have some good Vonnegut pins that I have. And then the philosophers, the unemployed philosophers guild has, has great Vonnegut stuff, mugs and a finger puppet and a doll. So I have all of those. So yes, I do. I do collect t-shirts. I wasn't aware that Marakami made a, a book about his t-shirt collection. That's, it's, that's it's the funniest. It's the funniest thing in the world. It's the only book where he's just kind of casually discussing stuff. Like he's like, I should tell you about this. No, never mind. I'll just move on. 
Like that's that those those kind of sentences are in the book, and I just could not stop laughing the entire time. Uh, just to wow. let our listeners know, Gary is wearing a gray T-shirt uh, with Bert and Ernie on it. Which, if you're not familiar, they are uh, Bert and Ernie are from Sesame Street, and uh, <laughs> the the book the book says book club on it, and they're and they and they're both reading the same book. It's very sweet. I like it. Um, speaking of be funny or they'll kill you, or or tell the truth or they'll but be funny or they'll kill you. Um, deep dish or thin crust or something else. Oh, deep deep dish. Excellent, excellent. Chicago, we're we're both Chicago people, so thank you for uh, thank. If you're going to have pizza, have pizza. Man, there's nothing I love more than confirmation bias in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> thank God. Uh, Springfield, Illinois, claims to have invented the corn dog. Do you believe them? No, no. It's a it's a flimsy claim, <laughs> and and. I I think that it it's one of those one of those things sort of like a, a Jungian type thing where I'll bet you every single culture has has the ability to lay claim to the to the corn dog throughout the world. Okay, Springfield. Just to let you know, we're just busting your chops. Uh, the Lincoln Museum is phenomenal. The uh, <laughs> the horseshoe sandwich at Abe and Ibeck, Isaac's um, is is fantastic as well. Um, Sam, what are you? What do you got in deck here? Well, Gary, I think we'll get you out of here on this last question. For we'll have for you. Okay. Uh, Vonnegut gave many college commencement speeches and taught whenever he could. Uh, you were a teacher, and you're currently working on a book called K through 12. What is your advice for young people, Gen Z and below today? My advice, I, I guess, it's sort of a a caveat or a warning. Achievement will not bring you happiness so so don't think you feel lousy because you haven't done anything great you should feel great just because you are and then you'll i i just i i remember coming out of college and being so afraid of not doing something great because i felt that if i didn't do something great i wouldn't feel good about myself and what i didn't realize is that in order to do something great, which is pretty much just to live well, you have to feel good about yourself. So that that should be your your primary pursuit is is finding out if you don't feel good about yourself why, and then and then fixing that, and then everything else will fall into to place. It's it's a hard tide to fight against this capitalism, but but you must. Well, I can't think of better advice than that, Gary Goldman. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. We are so looking forward to hosting you here April 10th for Night of Vonnegut. Um, yeah, we're very, very excited to have you. I think this was a phenomenal first episode of the Vonnegut Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sam and I, you know, our, our good looks have nothing on how great of a conversation <laughs> with this, um, which is good because this is audio. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one can oh, see it. Oh, man. Anything. Um, I can't wait to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks for listening to the Vonicast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with comedian Gary Goleman. You can find Gary on Twitter and Instagram at Gary Goleman. And check out his tour by going to GaryGoleman.com. Stay tuned for new episodes of the Vonicast coming soon. 
The Vonnegut is a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library and WQRT Indianapolis. Special thanks to our guest, Gary Goldman. The Vonnegut is produced by Fiona Duffy and Drew DeSimone. Audio mix and editing by Nick Corey. Cover art by Rusiak Pivitsian. Vonnegut episodes and all other KVML programming can be found on kvml.org or on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vonnegut Library. I'm a child, I'm a clothes, I'm a cop. Too much work for me.